to Big Red Couch, the podcast about making role-playing games. A group of GMs and players draw ideas from the mystery box and bring their game pitches to you. Hello listener, and welcome to episode 158 of The Big Red Couch, a fabulous, fabulous RPG game show delivering exciting, meaningful, and concise game pitches to you, the discerning listener. Ben, tell them about the rules. Well, Craig, I think it's important that you left off podcast, which basically inverts or nullify everything you just said, apart from role-playing game pitches. And there you go. That's rule zero. Trust no one. Indeed. Mistrust your own senses. Nothing is real. Here we go. So I believe I've played that D&D game. <laughs> Was that one of the Dragonlance adventures? I can recall you having opinions and feelings about Dragonlance adventures on our aborted recording, so I'm going to assume yes. Let's go with that. Awesome. Please, sorry, continue. As with any other run-of-the-mill fabulous role-playing game game show podcast, we have rules, but our rules are special. We like to keep things chaotic and exciting, or at least uh, confusing enough so that we can pass off any old guff as content. The idea is that we, and any lucky guests who happen to wander into the, the pits, come up with and workshop tabletop role-playing concepts and pitch them to one another. We combine arbitrary prompts that we've collected from our audience, mixed up spam bots across the internet, general pop culture guff, and then, just to make it exciting, we tie them into a topic that, well, hopefully relates to role-playing games and helps us address one of the current, or maybe decades-old, pernicious conundrums that plague the hobby. I'm looking forward to the D th- the role of the D30. I think that one's going to be a cracker when it comes up. Indeed, indeed. That has a lot to ask for. There'll be much wailing and lamentation, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So, each episode we have a prompt. What is this episode's remarkable and interesting prompt? This uh, episode, the prompt comes to us from the fertile brain of Alex and reads, My dear, we're out of Stilton. Excellent. And in the interest of fun local facts and local knowledge, because what would a podcast be if it didn't at least try to educate you a little bit? It would be a mattress advert. That's alarmingly accurate. <laughs> this is, to be fair, is the sort of education that really is only going to come up with for trick questions in pub quizzes, but uh, Stilton. Stilton is a type of cheese. There are two varieties of it. There is the, the, the white Stilton, which I did try to get some of to eat on the show, but it's very difficult to get because what generally turns up is the blue Stilton, which has got disgusting, disgusting mould all the way through it because I hate blue cheese. You forgot a kind of Stilton. The other kind of Stilton is a village. Well, yes, but I, I did start with the cheese. But yes, there is also Stilton <laughs> the village. Stilton the village in Cambridgeshire. Now, Stilton cheese is one of these things that's actually like it's protected. It's a protected it's a protected brand. I think it's a protected designation of origin under European Union rules. So God knows how that applies in the UK these days. Uh, I think we're still figuring that one out. Ha! But Stilton cheese can be made in Derbyshire, Leicestershire, or Nottinghamshire. None of which Stilton is in. You cannot make Stilton cheese in Stilton. There you go. There's a point for your pub quiz. You're welcome. <laughs> well, you can't make it in Stilton and call it Stilton. Yes, I mean, you could call it what was it, sparkling fromage, uh, <laughs> which sounds like a terrible, 
terrible new wave band, the more I think of it. Indeed. Sort of like opening for Flock of Seagulls, sparkling for a barrage. I can't believe it's not Stilton. Or, yeah, some sort of, some sort of <laughs> cod marketing would, would probably get around that. Until, you know, yes, it's, it's an interesting situation. Now the, um, well, that's the thing. I don't think that the UK has left all of the agreements. There's like some of the common market stuff, which predates the European Union, which they may not have ejected as well. That or they could just start, you know, cheerfully um, growing champagne grapes in the, you know, the the rolling hills of Dover or something, and just while doing the fingers over the channel. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that last bit tends to happen anyway, but yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure grapes grow really well in chalk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> chalk and sea air. <laughs> it's a bracing vintage, my lord. Refreshing chalky taste. Wait a minute, this is entirely chalk. Yes. <laughs> See, now I'm just imagining the uh, the skeg there's jolly fisherman, except he's just like wearing a beret and a horizontally blue and white striped shirt, and he's sort of prancing down between some uh, some rows of uh, of grapevines. Uh, <laughs> it's a pleasing image. So yes, so that is Stilton the cheese, Stilton the place from which does not come Stilton the cheese. I don't have a funny bit for this. The humour is in, is inherent in the piece. It's absurdist humour. Or something. Right. But okay. I did come up with an idea based on this. Excellent, excellent. I mean, cheese-based role-playing game ideas are pretty unusual. So, you know, we're definitely breaking new ground. Indeed. Just just as a, 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 a query, because I'm not 100% sure of our, our rating for this new show. If I had gone on with the and being somewhat lactose intolerant, breaking new wind, would that have been, like, too far? Or would that have been too far enough? I'm pretty sure that the usual lack of good taste, humour, or sense has carried on. I mean... Oh, good. Refreshing the brand to being a game show is more about actually coming clean. There's no... There's no... Just, there's, there's a little dispute about that. You know, We're just making sure that people get the fabulous prizes uh, at the end of the episode rather than, well, someone gets a fabulous prize. We often, you know, donate them to charities. Who <laughs> donate them right back, because, come on. Well, not the, not the, the, the sphere of annihilation, but yeah. Hey, the sphere of annihilation presumably would be useful for getting rid of all of that crap that just builds up outside the door because people ignore the do not leave shit sitting outside our door signs. At least that's oh, what yeah, happens yeah. In, in the these parts of the world. You just get these... No, no. Thrift shops and the like often have the problem of people donating, you know, things that clearly would uh, not be of any good, uh, of any use, so... Hmm. I was terrified the time I dropped off a bunch of stuff to a thrift shop, charity shop thing, in, in a town called Wangaray uh, many years ago, when uh, they gave me a weird, weird look when I walked in, and to be fair, I had stuff in a... Like in a couple of those uh, black plastic rubbish bags, so the, the fairly thin ones, just because it was a convenient way of carrying them, and they presumably thought this was some sort of uh, I am getting rid of my ex, my, my soon to be though she may not know it yet ex girlfriend's stuff kind of kind of deal. So I didn't figure that out at the time, but afterwards somebody pointed out that's probably what they thought. But when they opened these bags and sort of said, "Yeah, oh wow, has this been laundered?" It was like, "Yes, of course it's been laundered." Because the idea of, of not having, yeah, what kind of monster would you would do, do you take me to be? Followed by a, 
holy crap, did you iron this? Like, no, I didn't iron this, but I did, like, launder it and fold it nicely. Uh, which just, it was... <sighs> the entire way through my time living in that town, I was just horrified by what kind of mutants I was sharing the town with, unaware. Because there was that incident. There was also this, you know, whenever I rented a place, being told, oh, yes, you're the standout candidate. Like, I have hair down to my ass, a scraggly beard... Uh, and I'm a grotesque nerd. What the hell kind of people are you renting to that I'm the standout candidate because I have a job and can string words together? That might have been the qualifying credentials, but yes. Ah, well. To be fair, my boss did advise me to keep my sleeves rolled up because with my, as he said, with my look, you look like you have tattoos all the way down to your wrists. Huh. Anyway. <laughs> So, I, I, to, for the record, I do not have tattoos all the way down to my wrists, or all the way down to my any other joint. That got weird faster than I intended. Indeed. Moving on. So, I came up with an idea. Um, Excellent. He says, desperately papering over the cracks of that. What would you like? What would you like to regale us with this episode? So, my the the spice weasel card. Okay. Why the topic do you call it a spice the... weasel card? We've talked about this. <laughs> We, I am calling it a Spice Weasel card because I was outvoted and I'm still bitter. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, AKA the topic card. All right, the topic card I went with was classes or class, and in this case, it's social class for reasons that will hopefully become obvious. And if they do not become obvious, it's because I've done a really poor job of explaining my idea. And my idea doesn't involve cheese, but it does involve the village of Stilton. Definitely doesn't involve cheese then. Cheese-free zone, it's, it's apparent. I mean, it might involve cheese, but it won't involve Stilton cheese, um, which is, is well, to be honest, one of an astonishing number of incredibly regional cheeses in the UK. Like, everybody's got their own cheese. They've named an entire gorge after cheddar. Comfort the gorge the might have around. come first. Yeah, just playing that back in my head, it does seem more likely. I mean, cheese is ancient and uh, immovable, but yeah, it's not quite geological features. Though, there are certain corners of my fridge that I'm deeply suspicious about. Hmm. Those are more biological features. Anyway, so, (laughs) um, setting a scene, it's nighttime, in the countryside, or at least in the, the, the large cropping area of the countryside, field of something, I'm imagining like cabbages or lettuces, but... Fill in the um, the vegetable of your choice. Well, it's a it's a nice semi moonlit night, and then a chunk of the field starts to bulge upwards. The plants and soil slides away, and then a hatch opens, and a figure sticks it uh, sticks its head up. Uh, I mean, for the look of the thing, I imagine them wearing one of those sort of very Victorian kind of uh, interestingly slightly asymmetric hats, but that's just me. The sort of thing you might wear to the races if you were being really super fancy. So sticks their head up, looks around, comes up with a, uh, a telescope and maybe a compass, peers around for a bit, then leans back into the hatch and calls out, My dear, we're out of Stilton. Right. I'm not just going to leave it there. There is actually some backstory to this. I didn't just come up with a weird seed and, and, and run with it, though the temptation was strong. So... The setup is something that I suspect shows rather more about my de- my degenerating mental state of 13 and a half months of lockdown than any of us are really comfortable with, but let's just ignore that and move on. This is a, a United Kingdom and possibly an entire Europe where 
the notion of the free movement of people really hasn't been that popular and hasn't taken off. There were there were certainly chunks of chunks of British history. I cannot speak to other bits of history because I barely know any British history and the rest of Europe is a complete blank to me. But there were certain chunks of British history where certain social classes were very much not allowed to move around. Like you lived in the area controlled by, owned by a local lord, that's where you stayed and worked. To my understanding, it's not quite you are their property, but you're not allowed to go anywhere else. Or at the very least, there are some fairly there are some fairly interesting laws concerned with when you're caught outside of your area, when how you can be sent back, or how long you have to spend somewhere else before you could go back and uh, yeah, before you didn't get forced to go back, and how you might get out of your situation if you ever could. There were definitely some strict laws about vagrancy and the like. So, wandering around without a fixed abode or, or a means of income would be uh, frowned upon by the local constabulary. Mm. There was also the, the Freeman versus Villain. I'm probably pronouncing mm. that wrong. Um, that sort of one of them could go, could move around, one of them couldn't. But there was also the thing of if you could go somewhere and live there for a year and a day, or if you could just sort off across the border into Wales and survive, uh, you're probably fine. But hmm. that that sort of thing. And what we've got is this is this is full on steampunk dystopia is what I am imagining here. And to to dig into that just a little bit, this has the the cool stuff using steam aspect of steampunk, right? It has the, the DIY aesthetic and things being built and, and modified of parts of punk. It also has the, the anti-authoritarian parts of punk. There was a, a statement that somebody made probably on RPG Net many years ago trying to define what a punk setting was. And they broke it down into two tests of is there an entity or entities in this setting who could be considered to be the man and do the characters at some point engage in sticking it to said man. Which mm. seems like a reasonable definition, to be honest. Also, it's quite fun. So this is a setting in which the folks in charge, by which we mean rich people, possibly royalty, could go either way. I'm not, I, I could be sold in either direction. Considering the locale, I'd say that's the possibility is strong. Yeah. Yeah, royalty, or at least they're, they're lordships. Uh, they've very much decided that the idea of people being able to move around and do what they want is um, not conducive to the orderly running of the empire and the country. And so you have a very, very locked down society. You've got towns and villages that are there to provide worked goods. They are there to provide services. And they are ultimately there to provide extra people in the realms of, yes, we need to grow a new batch of peasants kind of uh, kind of vibe for whoever owns the entire area. Maybe you've got the situation where there's somebody who just owns a town, and so a lot of their business is going to be, well, we process goods, we, we provide new peasants to other people. Sort of out in the land, you've got... You know, the landscape is largely divided into absolutely enormous farms and... Palatial, groomed to within an inch of their life, life uh, estates and hunting lodges. But the idea that somebody could 
go from being, you know, I grow lettuces to I want to go and become a blacksmith. No, you don't go into the towns. The townsfolks don't come out. They, you don't mix. And this is ruled over with a you know, quite literal iron fist, ideally from some sort of steam-driven dirigible. Because, hey, steampunk. Basically, it's a dystopia. And because this is a dystopia and you're dropping players into it, presumably they're going to want to fuck with that. And really, that's the game. So this is the idea of, well, we've got people who are, who are building stuff and they're building clever... Yeah, some places are probably just building more plows or that kind of thing. But other places will be building cool steampunk shit for the people in charge. But they're also maybe building stuff for themselves. Because if you're in some town and you know, the only way you're ever going to leave that town is if somebody in another town convinces whoever runs your, your outfit, oh, we need, a one, yeah, we need a really good clockmaker. Can we buy your clockmaker family, please? Hmm. You, are, you are a resource unit with feet. You are, not, you are not really considered to be a person. And there is presumably the thought that, well, somewhere out there, there might just be a place where this doesn't happen. Maybe there are legends. I quite li- like the idea of a bunch of people living in Sherwood Forest, but that's just the whole Robin Hood thing, and because it would be funny. Or maybe, yeah, maybe you just want to escape. Maybe you want to escape get all the way to the coast that presumably you've heard about, but maybe nobody you know has ever seen. Maybe you're just trying to get the hell out of the country in the hope that somewhere else is better. Or maybe you're trying to link enough places together to build some sort of revolution. Because you, know, you might be able to take down like the Lord Mayor of the town, but that just means you are going to be waffle-stomped into oblivion by everybody surrounding you. It's, it's not going to work. It's probably been tried before and it hasn't worked. In order to do it, you'd really need to be able to tie together a bunch of people. You need to be able to make make contacts with people out in the uh, in the countryside. You need to be able to make contacts with other towns. You need to draw things together. Hmm. Create solidarity with the other members of the underclass, and you know, act act together. So, hmm. indeed, cause the death of the fascist insect that stri- uh, feeds upon the lifeblood of the people. Stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Nice wholesome things. Or the other thing. Mm. Uh, so that's that's the idea. I mean, basically, I see it as a it's it's steampunk stuff with more punk than happens in a or than has happened in a lot of the steampunky stuff that I have read. A lot of that tends to be more heavily on the we build cool shit that's made out of steam for the glory of the empire, rather yeah, than yeah, yeah, rather than the other side. A lot of steampunk isn't very punk at all. It's like hmm. steam fully throating the boot, maybe. I mean, I would say we'll workshop that, but no, we won't. Ever. <laughs> Ew. It is, it, it is a little bit enamored. Also, that is a, a terrible Fear the Boot spin-off. <laughs> it, it is pretty fearsome. I had no idea they'd gone that X-rated. Wow! Anywho... Yes, so they tend to be a, a little bit enamoured with the era of empire and and so forth. So yes, not very punk actually, but no, this is this is certainly certainly more promising on that front. So, uh, interestingly, like a number of years ago now, I was at a I was at the the science fiction fantasy Worldcon in London in 2014, and because London, you got a lot of people from the, the rest of Europe attending. And like a small contingent of New Zealanders, but that's largely irrelevant for this. Uh, I just brought it up to try to sound cool. 
a permanent feature of London as well. <laughs> yes, though I'm not. I'm not actually sure whether the permanent feature of London New Zealanders actually attended the convention. I right. honestly wonder whether it would be possible to tell. Certainly, I never ran into anybody who was like, "Yeah, I'm a New Zealander, but I live in London." At that convention. Yeah, okay. hmm. But in any case, there were some people talking about the German science fiction scene, and somebody did make the comment that steampunk, at least as far as they were aware, did not get published very much in Germany. There was like maybe one steampunk novel a year. The reason being that because of the era in which it's occur- it occurs, and because of history, everybody knows where it ends up. And well, nobody would be, wants to write about that. It would be Prussian punk, and yeah, it would mm. be a bit, a bit more fraught. Uh, certainly, the but it, it has extra connotations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course. The English-speaking world certainly has a more rosy opinion of uh, that era. So, eh, yeah, I can, I can see that. So, in, in context of this game, we have a we have a party of brave steam revolutionaries of, of, of some sort so have you given thought to the system or how how you would how technical would you make it and what would be the focus of play in terms of system i want to at the very least give a shout out to lynn hardy's cogs cakes and sword sticks because from uh, modifius entertainment because i did play a game of that a few years ago run by the aforementioned lynn hardy uh, and it was really fun it was it was mm-hmm. quite a fun system. It worked. It flowed well. So I'd, I'd give a shout out to that. In terms of how technical to go, it is very easy for somebody like me to go way too far down the. No, you have to design your 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 steam mole drilling machine. How exactly does the periscope work? And by by sort of, it is far too easy. I uh, I mean. I can completely destroy a game doing that crap, and so I try desperately not to do it. So I I would tend to go a little bit light on the tech side of things, because, to be honest, a lot of steampunk is about this looks cool. Mm. As long as it looks cool. You know, it's like the, can the laser-firing jellyfish levitate out of the water in Cinnabar? It would be cool, so of course they can. Of course. It's just, I think they were jellyfish. It might have been rocket. No, it was the rocket clam. It was the, the laser-firing jellyfish. Uh, important distinctions about uh, and regarding a very serious and rigorous game yes indeed i'm not sure if they ever got a second edition, the second edition ever get, came out from that it was just like i think the, the the guy who was attempting to write the second edition may have been cursed by the gods for the sheer number of horrifying disasters and or house fires he had but um right it, it made of a horrifying reading Maybe the, the the system, the idea was just too perfect and, you know, the universe couldn't contain its majesty. I like that. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that's, okay. uh, that, that seems reasonable. So, if the game is about sort of daring do and, and the characters all have a fairly distinct role and so forth, I would I'd suggest looking at Lady Blackbird. Not just because it's a free and um, a, a short, very compact sort of game, but it also has specific mechanics about doing your acts of daring do and so forth but also building and exploring relationships with the other characters so that you can refresh your ability to do further acts of daring do and the, and the like so if you want to build up the story about how these people got into their shiny brass mole tank 
and blasted their way across the uh, heavily policed countryside. You could you can uh, figure that out using that that part of the system. Cool. Yes, I have never played Lady Blackbird, but I have heard of it. Starts in a jail cell. Like at least the start of the thing is quite heavily is quite heavily um, prescribed. Well, yes, the, the, that is the setting is very much you start here. Here are the characters. Go from that point. But it kind of feels similar here that you are all on the run. You are doing a thing. Your choices from that point are what are what are important. Makes sense. Cool. Yeah. So with a bit of bit with a bit of modification, yes, I, I definitely wouldn't go to the level of. Uh, I'm pretty sure Space 1889 from GDW, along with quite a lot of their other games, did have a a a design and do the numbers on your fantastic um, steampunk creation system in it. I know they were quite big on that for a while. Hmm. There was there was a spate of games where you could like build to your exact specification and GURPS like a robot chassis for your your robot character or uh, a, a vehicle of some sort. It, it kind of coming out of the good old-fashioned Car Wars, uh, build a car which is armoured only on one side and it has a, the particular armour-piercing anti-tank rifle on it which can blow other cars apart. But it only works if you can drive around in circles around your opponents. Yep, I think Traveller Traveller had a, a source book for that as well, though they tried to cram everything into one. and Some of the rules tended to fall down at the extreme ends. Like I did try to build a spaceship once and realised I needed to put in more surface area of hatches than there was surface area of ship. That could be tricky. It would be very difficult to find one that was leaking, for starts. But very easy to get in and out. Possibly too easy to get in and out. I don't know, maybe it's, it's along the, the, the same theory as sort of you build the entire ship out of the, uh, the same... You know, this, the same thing that that child's toy that always survives the the, the, the crash is uh, is constructed mm. from. Make it make it all out of black boxes. Yeah, just black boxes all the way down. Um, there was a module for uh, teenagers from outer space that had that with the school bus that had the the emergency kit that was basically just a, it unfolded into another school bus that included another emergency kit because presumably somewhere in playtest. Somebody had the idea of destroying the school bus, and so they just went with, no, there is an infinite number of school buses, get over it. <laughs> we have recursively packed enough adventure so that you cannot break the adventure. I like that. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. In, it's in keeping with Teenagers for Our Space as a concept in general as well. So, Indeed. So, yeah, I think, yeah, I'm not sure whether I would want to pitch this particular game as you are you are taking it to the man, you are going to... Yeah, effectively, I'm not sure whether I would want to tell the players this is what you're doing, or whether I'd want to very much start it off pretty much pretty much with that scene of you've surfaced inexplicably in a... Because uh, I'm imagining it like a submarine surfacing, even though something moving underground cannot possibly do that. Liftwood. It, it's it's all about liftwood or whatever. Calvarite. Something like that. Uh, Calvarite, yes. Yes. Yeah. So get some phlogiston in there. It's always good. People like a good <laughs> bit of phlogiston. Where was I going? Oh, yes. Uh, I quite like the idea of starting it with that scene, at which point somebody yeah, asks, okay, so which one of you is playing the, the figure who just did the... Okay, we're out of still... And just start it there as I pick your characters. Who else is in there? 
they are going to ask questions about why they are in the marvelous mechanical mole and I mean you probably need to set up the world you need to set up the world first that that seems churlish not to indeed but also you've drawn it they've drawn us sort of like a setting in quite broad strokes with obviously bad on one side so oh yeah like I say unless the um Unless your uh, players are wildly invested in, in you know, king and country and in, in fictional examples, they they probably won't choose the other side. I guess. Yes. Who are you? Oh, I'm a uh, yes. I'm a loyal servant of the empire. We kill him and bury him under the uh, the brassicus. Right. Okay. Next. Hmm. <laughs> it would be an entertaining uh, an entertaining lesson in the, the 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 dear old RPG thing of there is such a thing as too far. Indeed. So you get you get to set people up and give them an idea of what their uh, motivations might be, and then see what happens because they may simply decide we're going to escape, we're going to make it to mm-hmm. France, we're going to go to Scotland. We understand it's much freer up there somehow. Yeah, maybe we can tunnel to Iceland. I have no idea how that's going to work, but I'm sure it'll be entertaining. For for other inspiration, there are a couple of games that this reminds you of. Not just the the whole. I mean the the idea of the hatch opening and so forth and this mechanical beast vaguely reminded me of the uh, War of the Worlds, so that's always a always an exciting bit. And maybe one nice. end up riffing on the story of the artillery man and some sort of underground, literally underground, resistance against the uh, the overlords. Be these less um, prog rock and uh, alien this time. True, true, though. Nice shout out to Jeff Wayne's musical version of War of the Worlds, mm-hmm. featuring uh, featuring Phil Linus of Thin Lizzy. Just throwing that one out there. Also, there's a couple of games. There's Vulcanoids, or, uh, where you rush around battering robots and stealing their marvelous gleaming drilling machines on a small island that is exposed to a, uh, a volcanic eruption every like quarter of an hour or so. So you have a bit of a bit of a schedule, and you have to either conceal yourself in your your uh, your submarine base offshore or capture a drilling machine and hide underground when that all goes on. So that, hmm. that has a certain steampunkish with robots sort of vibe. Also, there is the... Uh, one of that, that crop of survival meter-driven games um, from a couple of years ago called Sir, You Are Being Hunted. You're being stalked around the moors by very upper-class robots trying to murder you. Huh. Are they doing it politely? I mean, it sounds like politely, yeah. But with with fouling pieces, so it's sort of it, it's hard to say overall. Hmm. Huh. I mean, so you are being hunted is just a fantastic phrase. I think that's what they've got through the Kickstarter or whatever the equivalent was back then. Not sure that the okay. game succeeded on all of its goals, though. You get that? Um, yes. The the whole artilleryman. Through memory from the story, the artilleryman had had his his dream of sort of digging into the into the sewers and building this entire underneath underground society. And they were going to teach, you know, they were going to everybody was going to live underground. They were going to teach the kids. Uh, they were going to uh, play cricket against each other and go shopping and uh, dig a tunnel to the coast to go there on their holidays and this kind of thing. Yes, which would be wasn't particularly based in reality. No, there was a lot of PTSD talking at that point, I think. Yeah, it really was. Um, I think he 
cropped up in the uh, well, a scene, an analogous scene maybe cropped up in. Oh no! Wait, no, that was the. It was the. There was the Reverend, and the Reverend's wife was was the was the other bit. Mm. They were the, they were both in the the Jeff Wayne thing, and yep. Tim Robbins did a, a, a interesting kind of collapsing those two characters together in the. Uh... Well, the Tom Cruise War of the Worlds movie. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. I knew there had been one, but I couldn't remember who the hell was in it. Cool. So, yes. That that one would be an interesting one. If the players decided they wanted to go with a, no, we are going to build up this, yeah, we're going to build up in order to take over, we're going to take the country back. We are going, it's not even taking the country back, because you're not taking it back to anything that existed before. You're just taking the country. Uh, if they did that, you could have a fair bit of fun with a system that, a system that allows you to do a certain amount of time skip. It's like sort of okay. Let's let's jump forward ten years. What have you accomplished in that ten years? Yeah, you know, this is if this is your your long term plan to take the country back. You know, have you built this this stealthy network of high speed uh, pneumatic hmm. rail running underneath the country, linking basements and cellars around uh, around the nation to coordinate your your plans and, and move resources. That seems like a very big project for a campaign, even. That's Indeed. Sounds like... There's a, is the system Rain that you've mentioned? There's a... Good for doing things on that sort of scale? That's my understanding, yes. I've not played it, but the, the system behind mm. Rain, which is, it uses the one-roll engine, and it does have a bunch of stuff to do with how do we change society. Hmm. Yeah, that definitely sounds like it might be useful to look at. Cool. Hmm. So yes, that was that was where I went with my dear. We're out of Stilton. You went away from Stilton. I guess that makes sense given the context. So yes, <laughs> cool. So my my notion for some reason it put me in the mind the mind of a extreme topic I chose was over planning, and for some reason that phrase put me in mind of the idea of a very fancy dinner party people very dressed up circulating around a a a lovely mansion kind of thing with you know with your drawing room and your dining room and so forth and doing around doing the rounds and at some point somebody enters the room possibly dressed as a butler wearing a, a simple domino mask and utters to no one in particular my dear we're out of stilton and immediately all of the the well-dressed assassins and hitmen draw weapons out of pots and and various concealed places and just go to town on one another because this is some sort of bizarre annual assassins gathering and something has the 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 code phrase has just announced that they are on the brink of some massive overhaul of their organization that means that the leadership of of their their assassins guild has been thrown open it's like some they have to uh they end up having to battle for it or the target that they're all been aware of and they know that they're they're available to to pursue at some point has just come onto the market as it were and they have to uh, thin out the competition before going forward so yes it's like suddenly suddenly the um Downton Abbey turns into a John Wick movie kind of thing okay so first question is this basically one enormous combat sequence? I would quite like it to start off like that, though not with your usual 
like die checks do you shoot the person in the throat kind of thing but with a a lot of characters with a lot of contingencies uh, applying them to get out of various situations with the aha well is it no you didn't manage to poison me because you know i had i, I had the antidote all along it's like well actually i switched i switched glasses so now you're taking a different poison of which i have the antidote <laughs> and and things like that and have them winnow down the list of of characters and then at that point maybe the players take the survivors and go forward so it might be that the uh, the roster starts off quite a bit bigger and then at some point they will realize okay our numbers have been significantly reduced but i can hear you know gunshots of a particular legendary sniper's particular legendary rifle going off and realize that we're actually going to need people as good as those who have survived so far to all survive we're going to have to work together yes okay and the way the way you're describing the aha bit aside from reminding me of the doctor who comedy the curse of fatal death that has an enormous amount of people being smug and having bribed the architect of the castle slightly earlier to put in a hidden lever here or a secret trapdoor there Quite aside from that, I do like the idea of people sort of actually playing the aha, but sort of card, possibly with actual mm-hmm. cards, to do the, uh, yes, your, your soup contained a deadly poison, haha. Ah, but I already, yeah, I predicted this and so had the antidote, haha. So this sort of back and forth, or, um, mm. and indeed the option of it all went catastrophically, uh, yeah, catastrophically awry of, Oh no, I cunningly you know, I cunningly crafted the bowl that your lobster bisque is in, uh, an explosive substance that should go off any time now, to which somebody plays the But I ordered the soup card. At just, which point just a bowl somewhere yeah. else explodes. Yeah, <laughs> somebody else blows up kind of thing. It's a little bit slapstick, but <laughs> if not overused. So there is that. And yes, full disclosure, this is our second attempt at recording because the first attempt at recording didn't work so well. In that, the recording didn't... What's the word? Record? Record. <laughs> Can you really call it a recording if it didn't record anything? Just an attempted recording? It was a recording <clears throat> session. It was a recording... Yeah, nice. Recording session. Something that occurred to me at the at that time was just the image of this occurring. I mean, I do like... I, I do very much like the, the, the fancy house and the ball... Uh, the, 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 the drawing room and the dining room and the, the butler... But I'm also liking the idea of this occurring in a distressingly greasy food court of the sort of thing... I'm assuming these things still exist. Uh, I mean, the one I'm imagining probably hasn't existed for 20-odd years, but it used to be at the the lower end of the, the main street of the centre of Auckland and was in a space where a department store used to be. And you basically just had two parallel rows of places to buy food and a bunch of fairly generic tables. I'm imagining this occurring there, where people are just sitting around, eating whatever, the phrase gets uttered, and then it just all turns to complete madness as they attack each other, various people working in the the, the food places haul out enormous machetes or, or meat cleavers and attack, other people have no idea what's going on and hide in the freezer, terrified tourist family hiding under a table and screaming as this just complete mayhem occurs so it goes completely kung fu hustle 
and probably like I feel like I'm riffing on a, a Hong Kong martial arts film, but I don't know which one, which is really irritating. Possibly more than one. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I also like the idea of depending on the system and depending on how how likely it is that death is on the cards for the yeah you know, once that initial winnowing is out is, is done how likely it is that death is on the cards for the player characters i do like the idea of somebody who isn't actually one of these assassins but who has somehow survived just by being a bit lucky and laying about them with a plastic um one of those plastic trays and a folding chair uh, yeah, it turns out to be reasonably good at this thing while screaming in terror and possibly having their eyes closed. Who just sort of gets dragged along for the, the, the ride of, yeah, but I'm not even an assassin. Well, you're yeah, bloody caught up in it now. Learn. I quite like that, but that's possibly me perverting the idea beyond uh, all good good conscience. It would take some adjust- adjustment for have somebody who is fated not to die this day, or at least just yet. So mm. that would be interesting for sure, but yeah. I guess the tricky part would be going from the weird explosive fracas and making that an interesting kind of almost like it like a like a like a trick based card game like five hundred or something where you're basically just going right who survives this round right everyone except that person and basically go around and have a similar sort of thing and then transferring from this frenetic like murderous melee to right we have realised that we are. We can all see that each of us is all wildly competent and survived this long. Now we need to do the thing without, well, without, with, with less horribly betraying one another than might otherwise happen. Yes. Yes. Doing, doing that transition, I mean, I'm imagining some sort of countdown clock, which presumably conveniently ends when you have as many characters as you have players. Yep. Yeah, that, seems, yep. that seems like a good place to end it. And then, it, then it's some sort of harrowing road trip to the uh the sanctuary of the the assassins guild to uh put in their their bid for the the new leader or to uh, rush off to um take out the uh that particular target mm. i am admittedly imagining it in very much a the head of the yeah the head of the crime family is dead and now there are multiple lieutenants who all feel like they should be the next guy in charge and hmm. They're going to be, yeah, somebody's going to be in charge, but they're going to be in charge of a very depleted roster. Maybe the timing was just bad. This wasn't intended. The, the you know, the, the annual ball thing is all, they're not letting their guard down as much as would, uh, you know, to make them seem like normal people. But, you know, they're, they're all on their best behavior. And they all have contingencies in place. And then suddenly the one thing they didn't, that really you wouldn't want to have happen at that time occurs. Yes, the Don chokes on a uh, chokes chokes and dies on a fishbone or something. Really, yeah. we always assumed he'd get blown up or something. Hmm, I like it. Hmm, bespoke system seems like the way to go here. Yes, yes, I think so. Something, something that that from the whatever the initial melee is, maybe that is maybe functionally the the melee is character building, the, the your techniques and choices and so forth. So you could start off with literally. Um, a hand of cards. I was like, okay, concealed firearm, concealed firearm, random piece of furniture, deadly martial art. Okay, what what do I play this turn? <laughs> huh. That could be quite fun because you could end up with a character. Yeah, I mean, something where you could go into it with absolutely no preconceived notion of who the character is. And if you could tie 
if you could tie these various sort of concealed firearm, stealthily concealed poison, hidden bomb, etc., to other character traits, mm. you could end up with this hand of, well, here's the stuff I played, this is the stuff that I do, what comes along with that? Yeah, so you're effectively by having the character survive the um, the initial 30 seconds of mayhem, you, you've built the character, effectively. That'd that's, be interesting. That's quite fun, yeah. Hmm, nice. Alright, and we and we also have a suggestion from John. So, John writes, Normally, the phrase, my dear, we're out of Stilton, would not generate fear. Normally. But for this group of merry Hoovians on their way to Cardiff to stand in that spot and take in the sights of that Welsh town, Normal has taken <clears throat> the day off. I have gone to Cardiff and stood in that spot, because I am a grotesque nerd. Did, did it make you feel mighty and connected to the universe? Or just no, because really, it's it made me feel <laughs> Yeah, it made me feel vaguely judged by all the other people who were standing around trying to pretend that they weren't there for the exact same fucking purpose. <laughs> <clears throat> we all knew you were there, what you were there for. It was really obvious. Also, I got my credit card skinned there, so, you know. Ugh. Like, not that specific spot, obviously, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, that would Probably be at the, that would be weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, extra dimensionally skimmed. It was oddly intrusive. Uh, no, probably at the, the 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 Cardiff Bay train station seems like the most likely uh, likely candidate. So they all live in Peterborough and are part of the local sci-fi scene there. And John has made a note that uh, there is in fact a Doctor Who fan club in Peterborough, the Nth Dimension. Isn't Google fun? Hello, Nth Dimension. You're never going to hear this, but you never know. Indeed. I mean, I'm hoping that there's, uh, there's one of them who's even now thinking, Oh my god, we got a mention! <laughs> That's not going to happen, but I can dream. And while the Doctor Who experience has closed its doors years ago, Whovians from just about everywhere still travel to this mecca of fandom. So did the crew from Peterborough. Instead of taking the A605, they drove down in one of the group's panel van, and headed for Stilton to get some proper cheese. After availing themselves of said coagulated and sour bovine lactation, thank you so much for that phrase, John, they took a side, side road with the aim to rejoin the A605. Aimed, but most definitely missed. Instead, the person driving the van has come to the realisation that A, he's been driving for two hours on a trip that should have taken 19 minutes, B, they're in the flattest farmland they have ever seen in their life. And C, there's nothing but wheat fields as far as the eye can see. When this revelation is revealed to the others, it comes as a shock. Pulling over to the side of the road, they get out and survey the landscape. Wheat fields far and wide. Check. The two-lane road is still there, but the stripes have changed subtly. There's no radio or cell phone signals at all. One person, get a volunteer, says, I think we're in Kansas, Toto. So here's the setup. Firstly, get buy-in from the players. Let them know that they're going to be playing ordinary people from a British city who are also sci-fi fans and probably gamers, and they will be having a supernatural encounter. This doesn't stop them from making a retired SAS, uh, uh, yeah, making retired SAS or a local officer of the law, just that they are totally unarmed except for pot metal reproductions of weapons that they decided to bring on a trip. You know, something a stout stick would break if they swung it at it and are as blunt as a conservative's mind. 
John, tell us what you really think. Come on. What's happening? Well, Rod Serling is not about to step out and tell them, but they most definitely have left England proper and have entered always Kansas. It has certain properties. It's flat. Very flat. If a character has some binoculars or a camera with a zoom lens, then they can quickly clarify that it's very, very flat. They can see the road continue until it vanishes into the atmospheric haze. The brainy sort will figure out that that would be about 300 to 400 kilometers, not five kilometers for a round place like Earth. As far as they can tell, there's nothing else but the road and the wheat. Well, this wouldn't be much of an adventure if that's true. Looking in the direction of travel some distance away, about a quarter of a tank or 25% of their charge is a stand of trees and maybe a building of sorts. It's always noon, the sun doesn't move, and the wheat is growing wildly and not in rows. And that's where I'm going to leave it. Let the players come up with all the ideas and what's going on. It will be far better than what you can come up with. So, this is a challenge for the players to subtly shape where the game is going, and the GM to keep up with them, yes ending furiously, or subtly, one one or the other. To make, to make I think sure the first the... you one, then the other, then back to the first, I suspect. Indeed, indeed. That's, a, that's very interesting. I mean, I'm confident that, you know, people who have played a wide variety of role-playing games and so forth would go, aha, it's one of these ones. I've done a, a competition game or a, a con game before. It's going to be, there's going to be a wacky thing. And the first time they think, aha, I bet that's a service station, they find out it's actually a service station, but it's not quite like what they're, they're used to they'll start to put the pieces together and, you know, ideally, you know, contributing to the story and building it up and the Doom can take their leads and run with it. I might give people a hint these days, though, because that's not very common so much. I mean, there's lots of games where you put in your own... I mean, there's, thankfully, a vast array of games where you put in your characters and what you want to do and sometimes you've got your shared authorial intent. But not quite as frequently where the players are kind of driving the plot unfolding. Except when they do stuff, of course. That's always nice. Mm. <laughs> Ideally, they should be able to drive the plot at least a little bit. Uh, otherwise, yes. we're, we're just on the grand RPG railroad and hoping that we get to pull the whistle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I personally wouldn't do that, but I can see the, the advance... Clarifying. I personally wouldn't do the hinting that the players are kind of creating the setting bit, but I can see the advantage of it. That might just be because of me being a very distrusting person and thinking, yeah, you little fuckers are going to go hog wild if I give you that much um, that much ability. I'm not sure I trust you. So that could be a me thing rather than a gaming thing. I if I could be, I mean, it probably is. <laughs> I think that it would be... I think having something that which includes the other players at the table and possible some star trek style overmind or you know that that keeps people from doing ridiculous shit is preferable for people sitting around going i'm confused i don't know what's going on i have no ideas but having not realized that it's their 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 contribution is to have the ideas <clears throat> i with what that description my initial thought was oh Clearly, they're on the inside of some sort of agricultural Dyson sphere that presumably hasn't been tended in a while. Well, that would make that could make sense. That could be the the you know the reason what's going on is going on. But 
if someone is going around looking for evidence they're on a Dyson sphere but not telling you about it, the GM is going to be very confused. Uh, yeah, that is a, that is a solid point. You would need at least enough um, enough feedback to figure out what they think is going on to to yes and and no but it. Yeah, exactly. Because otherwise, if they're just constantly just asking non-leading questions about the things you've only already talked you've only already talked about, or they're you know they're trying to dismantle the van to make some sort of you know crude observatory <laughs> it's like what are you doing hmm indeed yeah that's i mean something it puts me in mind of and i'm not 100 percent sure why i guess it's just the what is the to certain extent it's what is the most annoying thing what, what are some of the most annoying things that the players could uh, could think has happened it puts me in mind of a scenario it was a scenario for the dark conspiracy horror role-playing game which uh, I read from a magazine back when magazines that were publishing a bunch of scenarios for f- for different systems, if not perhaps different game publishers' uh, systems. It was an interesting start, sort of starting the campaign kind of kind of game where the players are all on a flight. The plane flies into a storm. It crashes. They are the survivors. They manage to make it to this creepy farmhouse and basically end up going through a bunch of horror movie shit. And what it turns out is the plane and everybody on it has been abducted by aliens. They have had their brains uploaded into into some sort of some sort of alien system, but they can basically break out of the simulation that is tormenting them for whatever reason. I cannot actually remember what the reason was. Uh, possibly because it's a horror game and that's the sort of shit that aliens just do, and eventually escape. The interesting thing about it was... Yeah, partially the interesting thing about it was that because of the setup of the scenario, not everybody gets to escape in their own body. Somebody has to stay behind, or at least stay, stay in the system as a kind of disembodied ghost in the machine kind of, uh, kind of deal. But they still get to remain as a player character. They're just sort of an electronic ghost, which is hmm. kind of an interesting one. I'm not a hundred percent sure why that one came so strongly to mind when I when I was thinking about this. But I I am wondering wondering about players thinking, well, I wonder if we've been abducted by aliens. Is this some sort of simulation? Have we gone completely hmm. mad? And are we in fact just roaming around inside a a, a sanatorium somewhere? Uh, completely unaware of the fact that there are people attempting to provide some level of therapy or medication. Depending on the mindset of the players, you could go really dark with this really quickly. I would go with passed out and lay by convulsing from the effects of the unpasteurized Stilton that we purchased. But yes. Ooh, nice. Yeah, well, I think that's a nice throwback to the show Chef. Indeed, indeed. Um, I think the distinction there is that if you tell the players you're in a wacky, a wacky world where you know your your characters' expectations shape the world to some degree, it's not the same as telling the characters. The players are still expected to play the players who don't have that information. If they are abusing the knowledge, that's punish them. <laughs> 
Well, it's just not cool. It's just not a. It's not yeah. a. Okay, a, fine. If if well, if they're, if they're abusing the knowledge in a way that makes the game better, that's that's playing the game. If they're abusing the knowledge to make the game suck, they're making the game suck. It doesn't matter how they do it. So, I think that yeah. I think that's the the distinction I would I would operate on. And uh, yeah, if they are, uh, yes, if they are abusing the knowledge to to try to speed run the game or make the game suck, that would just be weird. But yeah, hmm, that would yeah. But that does happen from time to time. Um, but yeah, a, a good bunch of players, you shouldn't have that problem. And I do... Because I've run an enormous amount of horror games and the, the idea of basically being able to feed into the, the character's own paranoia has a certain fun to it. Like, if they are expecting alien abduction, just putting little things in there, like you know, sort of when they get to the farm farmhouse, if they look out the top door, top window... Yeah, because the building turns out to be a farmhouse, and there's like there's a crop circle and the imprints of some some heavy object having landed, but it's got like kind of a weird undercarriage to it. Really play into that stuff. <laughs> that would be All quite right. fun. It'll it'll definitely work if they've seen signs or are very gluten intolerant. Oh, I've never seen signs. Is it worth it? I don't know. It's after the cutoff point in uh, M Night Shyamalan's over. Fair enough. There's a certain point beyond which uh, we, we must not tread? Uh, it's a certain point where he became the twist guy and then he started doing stuff where he was complaining about movie critics very loudly in person in the film. So yeah, there, somewhere around there is there is uh, we dare not tread. I think that was um, Lady in the Water. <laughs> huh. I, I did try to watch his uh, live-action um, Avatar The Last Airbender movie, but... The entire plane's entertainment system crashed and could not be rebooted on that flight to stop me from doing so. You were fortunate there were no mountains immediately in the uh, flight path because it might have gone a bit, a bit more carried away. So yes. yeah, it was a flight across Australia. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of vertical going on. <laughs> nah, true, true. You you were probably safe. Okay, so yeah, I I would. It's it's interesting. I I would set some expectations going into it so they know that's that's the sort of game they're playing. Because otherwise, it could just get confusing. If people are hell-bent on making the uh, experience worse for other people, that wouldn't prevent them, true, but you'd, very few other things would. Mm. It does remind me of... The Call of Cthulhu GMing technique that a uh, a friend of mine from a distressing number of years ago uh, used, which was that he would come up with the basic scenario. He would come up with uh, yeah some, some some cool visuals and ideally a really cool scene at about the midway point. He'd do that scene. He'd take a bit of a break and then he'd just spy on what the players thought was going. And if they'd come up with something better, he'd do that. It's a classic. You make sure, yeah, if the if the players suggest something, it's like, oh, that's much better than my idea. All right, we'll see if I can work that in. Because you know, and you know, that's not the that's the not the most uh, direct way of of soliciting contributions from the players, but it does, you know, it does work. It makes up for the times when the players look at um, walk into a room, look at the NPC for less than than two seconds, and go, he did it, uh, for no apparent reason. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, those guys are always annoying to run games. <laughs> oh, yes. 
We're not going to go on that. No, we will do a completely separate episode of people rant about players who they hope are never listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect we can get a lot of a lot of a uh, lot of user submissions for that one. Anyway, <clears throat> so I, I I think that it's a really interesting idea for a game. The fact that you're um, prefiguring the characters as being science fiction enthusiasts who might have all sorts of wild speculations. I think that the uh, the character sheets having including their specialty or their, their particular focus would be would be good and i mean either either it is like a it's you know either a horrifying um shared cheese dream or some sort of reactive simulation so they're actually kind of dueling i think it's aliens oh it's it's definitely the wendigo or something like that no, not the wendigo in kansas i know it's not very likely maybe it's on holiday maybe maybe it's just just what's a bit of a break and Having having the idea that they're actually dueling between that, or maybe it is simply that you know the GM is using the, um, the stuff that's being pitched and creating the most compelling story they can as it goes. I mean, it it's a look behind it's a look behind the curtain, but still, I th- I think that you know making sure the players are aware that their contribution is uh, valued is good. Hmm. Yep. Cool. I would kind of like to play in that. I also kind of like to run it. So, yeah. yeah no, it sounds like it sounds like it sounds like a lot of fun. It's a lot less work yeah. than my one, that's for sure. Having to have been some sort of new... <laughs> it doesn't involve writing an entire system. Yeah, that somehow involves cards and like dinner cutlery placements at the same time. That was that's probably completely unfeasible. Though I am liking that idea. Hmm. Just the idea of the. I mean, it's a bit poutine, I grant you, but. Um... Just like the, the the idea of a printed out paper map that is in some way a placemat and a character sheet. Nice, yeah. And I'd I'd be loath to distribute actual physical cutlery to players because of a COVID and b stabbing. But you know, we are an excitable bunch. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Alrighty. I'm just now imagining a randomization system. Okay, so here's a bunch of cutlery. Throw it at the wall. Everything that sticks in is a point. I, I think that would and other terrible ideas <laughs> inevitably involve, you know, losing your um, security bond and probably injuring somebody. So yeah, let's put that on the back burner. All right. So only do it at other people's rentals. Got it. Nice. Yep. So that was that was John's submission. The uh, we are in always Kansas, and we need to find our way home, or learn how to mill wheat. Yes, that would be your uh, your fallback strategy. I, the, the, the one, yeah, the, the one downside of the obviously the players will want to go home is that if this you know if this game is run at say towards the the really yeah sort of the late middle section of a British winter when you've had three hours of sunlight in the past month and you cannot remember what the sun looks like anymore, it's the idea of wait. So this is a place where it's it like the sun is shining all the time and it's warm. Fuck it. Why would we leave? Why are we going back to Peterborough? <laughs> Why are we going to Cardiff? It rains constantly. Somebody stands at the side of the road and spreads their arms and like, listen to me here. War Games Field. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly flat <laughs> for miles. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's uh that's gonna be a novel one. Hmm. Mm. Oh, no, cool. Uh, I like it. I think it'd be, it sounds like, yeah, you're right, it sounds like enormously fun. 
you are Doctor Who fans that a Doctor Who thing has happened to. And, you know, because Doctor Who is what it is, they nev- the episodes never start when they arrive at a place which is dull, perfectly pleasant, and nothing suspicious is going on. True. It's like the cla- yeah, the, the, the classic Star Trek things that will never happen. If, you know, <laughs> the, the, the Enterprise encounters a type of radiation they have encountered several times before. Yes. Or, well, yeah, the, that does happen, but they tend to go on about it a lot, and it's involved, uh, and it's involved in some sort of overarching thing. Once that happened, once that's resolved, yeah, they never see it again. <laughs> the the um, yeah, the Enterprise goes on a routine supply run when nothing goes wrong, and it's actually routine. Yeah, and of course they wouldn't make TV shows. I mean, historical documents about the others because you know, what's the point? That is true, and it'd be entertaining, but yeah. So, and so that, I think, is our episode, probably. Indeed, indeed. Thank you, John, for your wonderful contribution. And because this is a game show podcast, we must have game show podcast prizes. So, from Chief Judge Craig, what is your vote for the winning submission for Big Red Couch, episode 158, My Dear, We're Out of Stilton? I I have a clarification question to ask here. Mm Mm-hmm. Is this... Winning submission from the point of view of the game I want to play in, or is it winning submission for the game I want to run? Either. Both. Whatever is most appealing. Fair enough. If it is for the probably, game I want to... So probably for the one to play in. Whatever, whoever has made the most compelling pitch for the game that you, yeah, that you want to partake in. Because some other fool can actually run the thing, presumably the person who uh, came up with the idea. In that case, for the game I want to play in, uh, it's going to have to be your 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 assassination game, because that sounds like you live to see me suffer. I understand. I mean, I was trying to keep that as subtext, but fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fine. Expose the lead, whatever. Uh, indeed, indeed. So, right. So uh, yes, for yes for the game I want to play in, it would definitely be that one. For a game I'd like to run, it would be John's one uh, okay. because the and it would be a horrifying challenge to try to tap dance ahead of the uh, the lava the the on 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 uh, oncoming lava flow that is the players. But um, it would be the entertaining to try to do. But yeah, for playing, definitely uh, Assassin's Tea Time. Nice. How about you? I personally, I think I would like to play in John's suggestion, regardless of who runs it. I think that would be a, a heck of a lot of fun. And by the uh, the rules set down by the Assassin's Guild and Time Immemorial, that means, as the guest, John's idea will be the winner. And shall I reveal, nice. reveal the fabulous prize that John has won? You totally should, because I've completely forgotten what it is. Indeed. Well, of course you would, because this just apex cyberstructure is completely, you know, middle wave radar, magnetic, anti-magnetic, totally imperceptible on most, you know, sort of uh, detection equipment, because from fromage futuristics, the cheese-based casein-powered cyber limb is almost, you know, almost perfectly concealed, apart from that smell, which they haven't figured out how to get rid of. But however, it is very I powerful. I was wondering about how you got rid of the smell. So the answer is well, you didn't. Well, they... they it's kind of a fundamental element of the whole thing. They're very proud of their uh, their cheese-based cyberware, and you know, at, at, at a pinch, you know, you could starve off starvation by eating your mechanical limbs Own first, rather than limbs. your uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> your puny fleshy bits. Indeed, indeed. That's I a mean, losing proposition. It's it's uh yes, it's a uh, definitely a bit of a downhill path. But definitely. So the um fromage of futuristic cyber limbs will, will grace some character uh, uh, as well John's characters in the near future, um though how popular they will be remains to be seen. I mean, there is a thing that was apparently very popular to do at some point where you would take a, a, a block of, or a round, I think it came in rounds, of, of, of white Stilton and hollow out the interior and pour port into it as sort of a port and cheese thing. So I'm imagining some kind of terrible, cheesy, squirty action going on there from the fromage futuristic cheese-based cyberlim. Possibly. I'd leave that up to the requirements of the uh, discerning consumer does sound like a terrible children's toy now that i describe it that way doesn't it yes yes or a terrible not children's toy but let's not speak any further on that that (laughs) point (laughs) we will not speak of it so congratulations john i guess (laughs) take your stinky cyber arm away and we'll we'll (laughs) see you next time (laughs) and so now we're really only left to talk about which which prompt drew the short straw as it were for episode 159 Coming up on episode 159, we have from today's winner, no less, a suggestion which has been voted by the general populace of the couch, which is Apartments of Catan. So expect endless wood for sheep jokes in the next instalment. Oh, I've forgotten. Oh, oh, I, don't want to do I this told you people hated anymore. that game. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, uh, really? Wow. Okay. I mean, aside from the occasional disturbing internet meme, fair enough. I'd actually forgotten about that. Wow. <laughs> I don't want to be on a wood for sheep podcast. Um, and but there you are. That that's how your life has turned out. <laughs> Just a thing that's happened. Wow. Okay. So, apartments of Catan. Gaze upon ye mighty and weep. <laughs> right so there's that um obviously there will be a poll for episode 160 which contains a a brand new contender for statistically speaking people to vote on as opposed to any of the stuff that's already on the list but we live in hope so poll options for 160 we have vip zealot the prompt that nobody loves laser plated hero which we stole from another podcast, which is much more successful and handsome than we are. That is true. As are the podcasters. We have Slithering Albion. And, new for this time's poll, Madness is an Irregularity of the Senses. Brought to us by John again. Hmm, but he was inspired by Inspirobot, so good work, I guess, Inspirobot? I I think that counts as an assist. Hmm, definitely. And uh, Madness is also a fairly well-known British band. So, yeah, that's a thing. They're more like an irregularity of the pop charts. Music industry. Scar in yeah. 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 But still good <laughs> songs. Hmm. All right. And so that brings us mercifully to the end of the episode. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for participating in this fabulous, fabulous game show podcast, somehow. And we hope you'll join us next time for The Apartments of Catan. Wood for sheep. Oh, why? Bye why? bye, everybody. <laughs> bye. Why? Want to hear more of our shenanigans? 
Then go to hoarde.net and click on the button that looks like a couch. The Big Red Couch is released under Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported from creativecommons.org. All music on the show comes from the album Universal Fluff Theory by Krakatoa. Visit them at krakatoa.com or follow the link from our page. See you next time!